6, verses 12 through 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The second portion of scripture is from 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 14, which Rifle said in his prayer, and obviously God wants us to emphasize this portion of scripture. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm an officer in the Caesar's Legions, and I'm coming to you from the year 70 after the birth of Christ. The province of Judea is in revolt, and it's only been a few years since the Emperor Nero had Paul, the Apostle Paul, executed. And so it's about the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians that I would like to speak to you today. He used an illustration about my equipment that Caesar gave me to talk about how God prepares his people to live a successful life in Christ. But before he talks about the equipment, he says, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world. So Paul is saying we can forget about fighting matters of spiritual warfare in the flesh or against the flesh our fight is not against the sin in ourselves or in others but he says first of all he's reminding his people that our battles are against first of all uh, fallen angels led by satan who walks the earth like a lion seeking who he can devour and i'm sure he thought about the words of uh, jeremiah in the old testament who said the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, so much so that who could know? Now, these are the things that we're fighting against when it comes to spiritual warfare. And so um, we have to ask, what is, what are we talking about spiritual warfare? And I would ask you, what is not spiritual warfare? What can you see 
in your day or hear in your day or experience something that you have to respond to that does not have spiritual implications or an impact on the kingdom of God? Who will you come in contact with that or who will you, uh, how do you conduct your finances? Everything, everything you experience and do every single day has an impact on the kingdom of God and has spiritual repercussions of some sort. So basically our battleground in spiritual warfare is our lives. It's our lives. So Paul goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles of the wicked one. Because Satan, when he walks the earth, he's not just out in public, out in the open where everybody can see him. He's hiding in the bush like lions do, and he wants to jump on the strong man, catch him unawares. And like Jeremiah said, our heart is so far from God that we can't even imagine it. And so how many times have we seen people, Christians, wake up one day wondering how, how they got so far into sin and just had no idea because they were caught unawares, because they were unprepared for how far their own heart is from God. They're, they were just unaware of how deceitful Satan can be. So that's the battleground, and that's the fight that we fight, Paul says. But he goes on to say, put on the armor of God, and that you will be able to stand in the day, that day that you're fighting that spiritual battle. Now he goes on to say, first of all, put on the belt of truthfulness. Now, he's using my equipment as an illustration. And you'll notice that I have a bunch of belts that I'm wearing. And these belts are important because they hold the armor together and they hold my weapons in place. And so without this system of belts that I'm wearing, the rest of my entire set of equipment is absolutely useless. It cannot function properly without the system of belts that I'm wearing. And Paul is saying truthfulness is just the same. So truthfulness, we're talking about integrity and honesty and ethics and character. But we have no ethics and honor and character and integrity to offer uh, of any use in spiritual battles, do we? It's the integrity that Christ emulated. It's the morals and ethics that Christ emulated perfectly as a human being that we need to emulate that will be our uh, foundation in spiritual warfare that allows us to be able to successfully use the breastplate of righteousness or the sword of the spirit, that's the word of God. So it's important that we recognize what kind of ethics and morals did Jesus live perfectly in his life and emulate those so that we can use the rest of the equipment that God has for us. Does that make sense? So if you want to share the gospel with somebody who just heard you lie, <laughs> you're sharing the gospel is not going to be very effective. So we need to be uh, emulating this part of the life of Christ, his ethics, his integrity, and his morals. But he goes on to say that um, we should put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so again, he's using my armor as an illustration of how God equips his people. Now you'll notice uh, my armor is um, it's designed to be pretty effective against all of the 
weapons that I might come across in the field of battle as a, uh, as a soldier in Caesar's legion. And uh, as effective as it is, Paul is saying this is just how the righteousness of Christ works. Because when he says righteousness, again, we have no righteousness to offer spiritual warfare. But it's the righteousness of Christ. It's his perfect holiness and character that will help us to be successful, to guard our hearts in spiritual warfare. So we need to recognize, we need to think about how was Christ holy and what kind of character did he have? And how, will that, how can we emulate that to be successful in spiritual warfare? Because God said, be holy because I'm holy. And without holiness, it's impossible to please God. But we have no holiness. So all we can do is think about the holiness of Jesus Christ and emulate that in our lives to protect our hearts in spiritual warfare. He goes on to say, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Now why in the world would he be talking about my army boots? Believe it or not, my boots that look like sandals are uh, a piece of very important technology of the time, which I come from in 70 AD. They offer very good support. They're very strong and sturdy, and they have steel cleats underneath them. And so they're actually very effective at giving me a very strong and firm foundation as I'm conducting myself on the battlefield. Uh, There's no slipping and falling. There's nothing but sure footing at a time when most of my enemies are fighting barefooted. So it's an excellent foundation with which to fight. And Paul is saying somehow the preparation of the gospel is that kind of sure footing in our spiritual warfare. But it's not just the gospel, he said. It's the preparation of the gospel. It's our foreknowledge of it. It's our ability to understand it through the Holy Spirit that will help us and give us firm foundation in spiritual warfare. And so we have to ask ourselves then, how firmly are we founded in the gospel of Christ in our lives? Is it, a, is it our firm foundation on which we depend? Or do we need to work on that some? Now he goes on to say that we should take the shield of faith that we can quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, you'll see my shield. This is not something that I hide behind when I'm on the battlefield fighting against the Germanic tribes or the Scottish Picts. This shield is used as an offensive weapon. We need, to, we need to make sure we understand that. When I'm facing an enemy, I'm going to use my shield to push forward and knock that enemy off balance. And as I'm pushing forward, I'm taking a step. So as I'm taking a step, I'm taking ground on the battlefield, and I'm knocking the enemy off balance and then thrust with my sword. And I'll push again and knock them off balance with my sword. And so it's my shield that is actually allowing me to gain ground on the battlefield. Again, this is not something I hide behind. Romans don't hide behind their shields. It's not how we operate. Paul is saying that's how faith works. Faith is not something that God's people hide behind. It's something that they use 
through the Holy Spirit in Christ to take ground for the kingdom. That's what, the, that's what faith is for. That's the way the shield is used. But he says it'll quench the fiery darts of the wicked one too. That's important because you'll notice my shield is covered in leather. And before I go into battle, I wet that leather because I know for some reason all my enemies don't like to just shoot arrows at me. They like to shoot flaming arrows at me. Now everybody knows a flaming arrow is no more dangerous than an arrow that's not lit on fire. It's psychological warfare because they know it's human nature to be disoriented or startled or concerned when we physically get too close to fire unexpectedly. But when they shoot those flaming arrows at me, my shield with the wet leather quenches that fire and it just suddenly becomes a normal arrow again. No big deal. And so the psychological warfare that Satan uses against God's people is completely nullified through our faith, just like the shield quenches the arrows that the enemy shoots at me. And so that's all it is. Paul is saying it's psychological warfare. It's the wiles of the wicked one. And by employing faith in Christ, not faith in our own ability, not faith in our own strength, but faith in Christ is what allows us to recognize the psychological warfare of the wicked one. That's all he's really got against his people, the psychological warfare. So recognize how faith in Christ will have that effect in your life. He goes on to talk about the helmet of salvation. You'll notice my helmet is uh, very well prepared to deal with blows from any angle. Historically, Roman soldiers are about my height, which means they're shorter than most of the other people that we come into contact with to fight against on the battlefield. And so, inevitably... We are receiving blows that are coming down from us from above. And so my armor, my breastplate, my helmet, it's all designed to deflect these blows from the enemy. And so it's very well suited for that. But you'll also notice this interesting piece of technology where the helmet is designed so that I can hear the battlefield commands from my commander very well. This is also something new in the technology of combat. And it's also a very important part of how we operate on the battlefield. Paul is saying salvation is just like how this helmet works. First of all, it protects my mind, right? So how firmly grounded are you in your salvation? The Apostle John said, These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. So Paul is saying that through this illustration. When we know, when we are sure that we are saved, that there's no question about our salvation, that God has eternally secured us through none of our own doing, but through Christ. When we are grounded in that, it protects our mind. What does that mean? protects us from the doubts that are associated oftentimes with spiritual warfare through our own sin, lack of trust, And that is the important part about this, is that we understand the difference between faith and knowledge. Sometimes we need faith to take new ground for the kingdom of God. But there are some things that I I just know about God or about Christ or have experienced about how God works 
in me and through me, and it doesn't require faith anymore. It's a matter of knowledge. And so Paul is saying this helmet works the same way. We need to protect what we know about Christ and trust what we have known. There's no reason to doubt anymore. He's also illustrating the fact that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Because the way this helmet works to be designed to hear the battlefield commands of my commander, uh, it's important that we only through our salvation in Christ and receiving the spirit of God can we hear the voice of our commander, our shepherd. And so understand that. Get a hold of that illustration and understand how this works in your life in spiritual warfare. <clears throat> he goes on to say, finally, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this sword is an early Spanish design that Rome has adopted and, and modified. And the way we use this is it's a thrusting sword, it's not designed to slash. But it's very effective for the type of warfare that we conduct, the way we conduct ourselves on the battlefield. But Paul said, the word of God <clears throat> is like the sword. And he says, the difference is, while this may divide bone and marrow, the word of God will discern the thoughts and motives of the heart. So that's why it's important to be able to understand and utilize the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God in spiritual warfare. To understand that because our battle's not against flesh and blood, what else do we have to, to discern, discern the thoughts and intents of not only our heart, but the heart of others, to get the root of the matter, which is the sin of the world, the sin of the nature of man. And so it's only through wisdom come by the Holy Spirit in understanding the word of God, that we can have this. So, given that's what we know about what Paul says about the equipment that God's given us, we, we can easily see that when we put on the armor of God, we're actually putting on Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no armor. Okay? So when we put on Christ, we put on his righteousness, we put on his holiness, we put on his integrity recognize his salvation in our lives, have faith in him, trust in what we know about him, and utilize the word of God that God's given us to see Jesus in it and how that impacts our lives. We're putting on Christ, and it's this way that we're able to successfully fight spiritual warfare. Now, what's the benefit of this? I'll read to you something that Julius Caesar wrote. He was... He was at a, at a time where he was fighting against the Belgian tribes. The entire nation of what's now Belgium decided to rise up and fight against them all at once. And there were several tribes that came unexpectedly that fought against um, Caesar's legions. They were setting up camp. They were caught completely unawares. And he says, a difficult situation was brought about by the enemy's swift onset. But the situation was saved by the knowledge and experience of the soldiers, which enabled them to decide what needed to be done without waiting to be told. So they had the equipment and the knowledge that Caesar had given them, and they didn't have to wait to be told. 
Sometimes we just don't need to sit around and wait to pray about things. Sometimes we can't sit around and wait to pray about things. Sometimes we just need to respond. And the better prepared we are to respond by doing what the Roman soldiers do is to utilize the equipment that Caesar gave them and the knowledge that Caesar gave them so that they can quickly respond and deal with the, with the unexpected onset of the enemy. <clears throat> In the same way, Timothy says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. And so perhaps we do the same thing. That's how we, that's how we equip ourselves, is to do that what Timothy said, is to be prepared and deal with that swift onset of the enemy. I thank you for your attention, and God bless. Fast forward 28 years. Hope this is better. Let me just repeat myself real quick. I was saved at the age of 20, and I was... Um, there's no other word for it. I was a heathen, straight up, heathen. Um, I want to fast forward in my story, 28 years. Marty and I have been married. Um, we were Christians before we got married. It's August of 2019. I'm frustrated on every side. I can tell for the last year, maybe year and a half, something's going on. I don't know what, but something's going on. Work was going okay. I had no fulfillment, no joy, no alignment of my passions, my energies. It was obvious something was happening because doors were closing all around. September of 2019, I had this startling realization that God was silent, stone cold silent. His presence was not palpable, as though he just completely removed himself from the equation of my life. And I had this feeling that I was to leave federal service. I was very proud to be a civil servant, and uh, this was not sitting well with me. And in October of 2019, this slow pressure was continuing to mount. And some things transpired at work that I took as a clear sign from God. You cannot stay. you got to go. All doors were closed except one. It was not a door that was appealing to me. It was not a door I was interested in, but I knew that I could not stay. 
so I tendered my resignation. Between August and October of 2019, the spiritual warfare that I was dealing with was, at that point, the most intense that I have ever dealt with. There was one little problem. I didn't know I was dealing with spiritual warfare. I just knew something was going sideways hard. Let me give you a little context. I was a GS-14. That's equivalent to about a lieutenant colonel. I managed a $75 million budget. I had a fancy title, lots of responsibility and authority. had a corner office, superb health care, prestige. I was in possession of a bachelor's, a master's degree. I had professional certificates from Case Western Reserve University and Harvard Business School. And I knew the Lord was saying, lay it down. He didn't shake it from my hand. He wanted a willing sacrifice. It was on me to lay it down. And I'm evaluating this and I'm thinking about it and I'm in mourning. I'm grieving what he's asking me to lay down. He did not consult me. He didn't ask my thoughts on the matter. Of course, I couldn't comprehend. What is this? I remember saying at one point, what am I, Abraham? Am I supposed to just leave and go find some mountain somewhere? Really? This was the first introduction to a quote from Alan Redpath that I believe the Lord brought to my hearing. Alan Redpath is, has long since been in heaven. He was the president of Moody Bible College. And here's what Alan Redpath said. When God wants to do the impossible, he takes someone impossible and crushes them. And I'm thinking, uh, what? <laughs> this was like watching my life like a train wreck in slow motion. And the silence of God was deafening. November of 2019, I left federal service for a job in retail. It was the one door that was open. Mike, I don't see you. No, no disrespect to retail. It just was not in my plan. The work was to be organizational development in nature. They wanted to grow, but they didn't know how. I was not excited. The spiritual warfare was intense, and I was unaware I was in a battle. December of 2019, I had continued to apply for jobs all along because really, I just wasn't quite satisfied where the Lord had led me. So I just kept looking out for myself, applying to jobs. And on the 11th of December, it dawned on me, he'd made me unemployable. A little more context, my journal, I'm a journaler, uh, and my journal is filled at this time with surrender, with submission. All the while, I'm reading my Bible daily, I'm praying, I had even resorted to praying on my knees, physically, literally. I was desperate for God. I could not understand what was happening to my life. What just happened to me? I just woke up and I'm in retail. March 20th, I wrote in my journal, 
following Christ has led me to a dark, bitter, cold, miserable place, and I hate it. At this point, I'm still oblivious that I'm in a trial, and I'm up to my eyeballs in spiritual warfare. I'm 28 years into my walk with Christ, and the self-pity is raging. April of 20, I have no will to live. I feel no emotions. I feel spiritually bankrupt. And I believe there was a stark reality of two choices before me. I could either accept this was God's new plan for my life or I could kill myself. That's it. Silence. God was silent. Job kind of silent. My inner man, as the, as the King James calls it, my, my spirit was inconsolable. And my precious Lord was quiet. Nothing. Logic failed me because this was a spiritual matter. In May, I wrote in my journal, do I simply have a relationship with the idea of you, God? Is that all this is? Have I just conjured you up in my head and I'm just in love with the idea, the concept of a God? And over the course of the month of May in 2020, I, uh, by the grace of God, began to get reacquainted with the elements of spiritual warfare. I'm back in Ephesians 6, and I'm reading up on, uh, how does this work again? June 7th, 2020, I wrote in my journal, the word is the point from which I cannot fall back or all hope is lost. I must cling to what God says, not how I feel. A.W. Tozer said, I doubt if God can truly use a man who has not hurt. And I knew that I don't know what God was doing, but he was hurting me. So, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not easy. June 13, 2020, I wrote in my journal, the imagination to dream of victory in Jesus is a painful risk. Help me to risk anyway. So I'd given up. I'd given up my career. I'd given up this idea that I'm going to get to return to federal service. It was like, um, <laughs> well, it was my Isaac. That's what it was. I had surrendered my Isaac. Frankly, I was a little offended that God had the audacity to ask me for my Isaac. If I'm honest, I was defeated. I was unable to rescue myself. I had surrendered everything. I was miserable. And I was reminded at this time that the precedent in Scripture is that the Lord takes the offering, he breaks it, and then he blesses it. The flu phone was ringing but I was drowning in self-pity. August 2020, I am aware that the interruption to my life is so severe, and I don't have anything to show for it. I just can't reconcile it. By the time September 2020 rolls around, I've applied to over 600 jobs. God has closed every door, still thoughts of suicide. 
October of 20, it's I write, it's taken me all of this to let go and trust God. I thought I had, but I never asked this much before. I've been sold out to Jesus since November 30th of 1991. Sold out. No plan B. And I couldn't reconcile what was happening in my life. But I realized that I was learning obedience through suffering. Marty had been telling me for months I should quit my job, my retail job. Awesome. And what, I said. And what? Go to the house? What am I supposed to dust every day? What am I supposed to do? October of 30, uh, the 30th of October rolls around and I just feel this, this sense of peace. I, I put out a fleece, God, if this is your will, make this happen. It did, and I went, well, if you make this happen, then okay, I'll know for sure. It did, so I, I resigned. I, I gave a 30-day notice. November 2020 rolls around, there come the health challenges. Pressure on every side. I'm so angry, y'all. Just angry, angry, angry. I cannot reconcile any of this, and I begin to wonder, where are the fruits of the Spirit? How is it that you get joy again? November 24th. Knowing I'm going to resign my job and go to the house with nothing to do, after the 30th of November, on the 24th, I write in my journal, the risk is legit, Lord, in your sovereignty. There may well be nothing to catch me when I go over the edge. At this juncture, excuse me, at this juncture, I have nothing to lose because I don't value anything on this mountain. So December 1st rolls around and I'm professionally bankrupt. I'm in total submission. I'm in honest surrender. I'm crushed in spirit. And I'm so angry. January 2021, I write in my journal, God, your silence makes it hard to remain in relationship. You are silent and I have little to say. You know my heart, my soul aches. I've nowhere to go, nothing to do, no mission, no tasks, no work, no mental diversion. What are we doing here? Joseph had a dream to hang on to. Abraham had a promise. And I feel like a fool. I have put every single egg into your basket with no plan B. I have no joy, and I am not experiencing the fullness of your presence. If this is all up to me, then I'm hosed. December, January, I was completely unemployed. There were a lot of days where the highlight of my day was walking to the mailbox, mopping the floor. In late January, I started a substantial remodeling project on our church parsonage. I know I've been so happy to have a job in all my life. It took eight weeks, and it was a gift from God to me. It was so sweet to have a place to apply my integrity. All the while, I'm applying for jobs. I've surrendered everything, and all 
Lord remains saying, God is silent. I think in retrospect, you know, I kind of thought he went away from me. But he didn't. I think what he did is he came so close that I didn't realize he, he overshadowed me. And I just couldn't see him. On January 29th of 2021, I interviewed for a position with the United States Forest Service in Rio Vesta, New Mexico. Keep on doing my remodeling. And in February of 2021, in complete obscurity, painting baseboards on a bedroom floor that my phone rings. It was the HR lady offering me a job as the ranger of the Smoky Bear District on the Lincoln National Forest. found the news totally unremarkable. <laughs> but I sat down my paintbrush, I got on my knees, and I worshipped. I thanked God, but in my heart, I was not happy. This job was not commensurate with what I had surrendered. But he reminded me, blessed is he who was not offended by God. And I accepted the position. Housing was a challenge, as you can imagine. There were three separate occasions where we thought we'll have to forfeit the job because we can't find a place to live. And the place we found was not exactly livable. But lucky for me, the Lord had just knocked off all the dust of my remodeling skills. And uh, we've got a real pleasant place today. Let me conclude with this. Between December of 2020 and March of 21, my two greatest fears came to pass. One was that I would have a medical emergency without insurance. But far, far worse, the far greater fear was that I'd have no reason to push the sheets back, no reason to get out of bed. Here's what I've learned. I have a new definition of success, and my job is not part of that equation. I've learned that who I am when I breathe my last breath is far more important to me than what I do with my life. Character is the foundation of who I aspire to be, and that is righteous behavior. That's the breastplate of righteousness. It's holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What I've learned is that we're all in a spiritual battle, and the armor of God is what He has provided for us to fight and win. These are offensive weapons. They're absolutely offensive weapons. It was uh, during this time that I was reminded, as I mentioned, of the elements of spiritual warfare and how does this work? How do I do this, God? I was so broken inside. I only know to relate it to something I've heard. Stroke victims, when they have to learn to swallow again, learn to walk again, that's how broken I felt when I was reintroduced to these elements of spiritual warfare. This is a little thing I have put in my purse, my pocket through the years. I got this probably in 1991. It's a scripture memory verses, and it's from the Navigators anyway. Um, Scripture memorization. Um, I'm, I'm going through my days uh, in agony, 
cannot reconcile any of this. And I just thought, let me, let me memorize some scriptures. Let me count on what's above. Let me focus on what's above because what's down here is just not worth looking at. Uh, I'm singing songs. I'm a reader. I, I, I do a lot of audio books. I enjoy music. Um, most of the time when we're singing, I'm sitting quietly because if I open my mouth, I'm just going to bawl cry, like a bawl or cry. I'm overwhelmed by the words of, our, of the songs that we sing. But I started singing, y'all. I mean, at first, Jesus Loves Me was about the only song that would come to my mind, but it was enough. And I'm remembering all these little things and little songs. It was, um, it was enough to help me go on, breathe the next breath, hold on to Jesus and faith for the next 15 minutes. And when that voice came and said, you ought to just kill yourself, Look at you. You're pathetic. You've got nothing to live for. I'm like, mm, well, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, These elements are for the here and now. This is how we get victory. This is how we have joy. This is how we have the fruits of the Spirit. What I learned is anger and suicide are demonic spirits, and they can be defeated through spiritual warfare. gotten to a place where I didn't think it was true for me. You? No problem. It's not me. What I've learned is God's word is true. And by chance, if you're discouraged or defeated, I encourage you to take a slow roll through the book of Psalms. What's in there is awesome and it's crazy. Straight up, crazy. Sharper than any two-edged sword. That, um, First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. That is true. It's true, and it changes everything. It took me 750 job applications to get the job I presently have. That's a lot. That takes a lot to apply for that many jobs. And after fasting and prayer, I had peace to apply to one job that would be a promotion. And I did. And on August 15th, I start that new job. It's in Silver City. <laughs> As of today, we have no housing options. God has shown us that we indeed have been given an inheritance. But just like the children of Israel, we've got to fight for it. You know why? Because something for nothing ruins you. So the primary difference between today and a little over a year ago, ain't nobody at our house afraid of a lion's den or a fiery furnace. We serve a mighty God. Lastly, I've learned that he is worthy of everything I am or have or ever hope to be, and he is to be trusted not only in eternity, but here and now. Thank you. God bless y'all.
Thank you very much, Marty and Camille. That was really good. Really, you know, touched my heart and blessed me. And I think anybody that's, you know, gone through just a dark night of the soul or some deep spiritual warfare uh, can be encouraged and comforted today that God's even nearer to you now than, than in the times that are sweet and good. Reminds me of Ruth some. Um, she said the same thing that Camille said. It might be something hard to, to take, but uh, she said, the Lord has done this to me. He has taken everything from me and no longer call me Naomi, no longer call me sweet, because nothing's sweet. Call me Mara, for everything's bitter. But in that short four-chapter book, the end life becomes sweet again, and the Lord was near to her, and she finds herself and Ruth, her daughter-in-law that stuck by her. Um, just near to her, and so the Lord's near to you today, no matter what you're going through. And, and uh, I think in spiritual warfare and, and darkness, things do hurt, and it's, it's very real, you know, our, our fight. Uh, for faith, you know, and to keep it is a real battle and a real fight. So pray that you're encouraged today. And if you're here today and you're a believer and trust in the Lord, we're going to take a meal together that God established uh, through his son. And uh, we're going to partake in communion together. You should have some of these near you. Welcome to partake of this with us. In the great uh, writings of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah said the same things about the Lord our God to Jesus. Uh, he said it pleased the Lord to crush him another hard thing to swallow but it pleased the father to crush the son on our behalf and in a place of the garden of Gethsemane there was an olive crushing place that's what it was it was a place where they took gigantic stones and crushed olives to bring forth the oil the fragrance of the oil and it's uh, a crushing place, but it's a beautiful place. The Garden of Gethsemane, where the Son of God was crushed, and it pleased the Lord to crush him, to do the spiritual battle and warfare, and say, let this cup pass from me. I don't want it. Jesus fought it in every human aspect you can think of, but he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he didn't want it so bad, he prayed that prayer three times. And each time it was, obey me, obey me about this tree. And he said, I will. And he went to the tree for us. And he became a curse for us. And he died in our place for us. So when he says, this is my body that was broken for you, that was crushed for you, he knew what he was getting into. And he went willingly 
it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So we have a mighty Savior. And uh, he was broken for us. So on that night that he was betrayed by Judas, he knew all plans of man will fail, like we said today. But God's plan will always endure. He wasn't rattled. He wasn't shaken. He took bread while Judas was betraying him, and he knew it. And he gave thanks to the Father. And he gave us this word, take and eat. This is my body given for you, broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. We thank you, most high God, that out of your great love, you crushed your only begotten son. We thank you, Jesus, for your willing obedience to submit to the Father's plan fully, perfectly, and completely on our behalf. Allow your body to be bruised and beaten and crushed. And that fragrant aroma will rise forever and does today has a sweet smell of eternal love, of sacrificial love that will reign into eternity forever. We will praise you and we glorify you today and we will forevermore. We thank you for your broken body. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant will rest in my blood. We sang multiple songs about the blood. We're not ashamed of the blood. We're not ashamed of blood sacrifice. That's what was required. And you paid the price, not in silver or gold, but in precious blood. And you took the cup and you said, this is the blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink of it, for when you do, do this in remembrance of me for the remission of all your sins. And we thank you for this cup. Let us partake together. Thank you for the gift of your son, God, your great father, full of love and truth and justice. We praise you and we honor you. We give glory to you. We thank you, Jesus. going to that tree and being nailed to it, becoming a curse for us, that we might receive the blessing of fellowship with you, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We just praise you and we thank you. And may we stir our hearts to worship you anew and afresh right now, maybe like we never have before. Make your Son real to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.